Well, as you know, we're in Acts chapter 10, so let's go ahead and turn there for the lesson today. Acts chapter 10. Now, in reality, and now this is not to say that all chapters are not to say, all chapters in the Bible are important. They all are. But this is, in one sense, uh, relatively speaking, this is an important chapter as it relates to the gospel of Jesus Christ being carried and delivered now to the Gentile people. As we pointed out before, this was a, an uncommon thing. This is not to say there weren't many, uh, there weren't some who were saved before this time. But as far as the numbers were concerned, this would have been relatively few. But we do see now the gospel going forth in a greater and wider place. And so now uh, this is going to be represented in this chapter as Peter goes down to the household of Cornelius where we see the preaching of the gospel and the Holy Ghost being given to those who hear the word. So we're really now at verse 25, and uh, the section here that we'll be looking at is verses 25 down through verse 33. That's all I'm going to cover today. And this brings us then to the fourth heading, and we're calling this, Peter is received by Cornelius. So that's what we'll be looking at this morning. So let me read these verses, 25 down through verse 33. And uh, as we look at this, as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter took him up saying, stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should call, not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gain, saying, As soon as I was sent for. I asked therefore for what intent ye have sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting unto this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard. Thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God, to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. So again, as we said, this heading here is Peter is received by Cornelius. Now, as you know, up to this point, both Peter and Cornelius have received visions uh, from the Lord. Cornelius, in his vision, he's told to send for Peter. And Peter, in his vision, is told to go and see Cornelius. Now, Peter is not given a whole lot of information regarding that, and that's why we read what we read here just a few moments ago. Peter's kind of a little bit in the dark about all this, as we see. In verse 25, we see here, though, that he does arrive, Peter does, at Cornelius' house, and Cornelius greets him. And you can see there in verse 25 that Cornelius immediately bows down to Peter and even worships him, as the text says. It says there, and fell down at his feet, verse 25, and worshiped him. But you notice here, Peter is quick to stop this. He puts a stop to this in verse 26, telling him that he too is a man just as he is. Again, that's different 
from the supposedly Peter's successor over there in Rome, who expects an audience, and when someone goes in and has an audience with him, he expects them to bow and reverence him. But Peter doesn't do this here. Peter is humble and he recognizes, just as you are, Cornelius, so am I. I'm just a man. Now afterwards, Peter and Cornelius have a little conference that says there that they speak. Now exactly what was said, we have absolutely no idea, though the commentators have spent a little bit of time discussing this, but there's really nothing there to give us a hint that what was really spoken. But whatever had transpired, we see that Peter and, and Cornelius then, they go into the house there, where, obviously which is Cornelius's house, where there are many who are waiting, as we see there in verse uh, 20, 27. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. Now, just a bit of a practical matter here, and I don't say this in order to be funny, and I don't say it in order to be mean or unkind. You know I love you all, and I am not purposely trying to hurt anyone's feelings or anything like that. But you notice here in this text, the preacher isn't waiting for the people. What do we see here? We see the people waiting for Peter to come in. They're all gathered there together. And obviously then, they were on time. They were here, and they were present. And by the way, this is the first meeting. It wasn't like, well, we don't know exactly where to go. We don't know exactly what time we're going to start here. So we don't know when to be here. But they were here. They were gathered together. And my point here is being in God's house is important. And not only that, being in God's house on time is important. Because if you think about it, in reality, what we're doing here is we're sitting before God. Now look down in verse 20, 33. Verse 33, not 23, verse 33. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, this is Cornelius speaking, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore, are we all here present before God. He didn't say here, now we're present before you, Peter, and we want to just look at you and all that sort of But he says, no, he understood here, we're present before God. They understood that when the word was preached, God was there, which is, of course, the truth of the matter. And so, rather than, you know, God waiting on us, we should be here waiting on God prepared and we're ready to worship and it's not brethren and I, I joke with my family about this but I'm kind of serious really but you know we leave we're supposed to leave at a certain time at our house and it's not like it time changes every week it doesn't it's not like it's 9 25 one week or 9 10 one week and 10 45 the next week no it's every week we're supposed to be out of the house at 9 30 and it's really and I understand it's really hard to get that down but it's, if we change the time, it would be very difficult, wouldn't it? To know, well, when are we really going to leave? Or the same can be said, you know what time we meet here. And it's not like we change it every week so that no one's, you know, we have to send out an email every week to figure out what time we're going to be here. But the point of the matter is we need to be here. And we need to be in God's house and we need to be ready and prepared to worship, and you don't just come bobbing in off the street and sit down and expect we're going to be receiving uh, the understanding that we need to do so. So, 
And again, I know there are times and circumstances that can make us late. The traffic may be heavy, or you know you've got great distance. It may be raining, it may be snowing, all that kind of thing. But again, that should not be the norm. That should be a rarity when that takes place. And I'm also aware that many of us had kids. I raised children, and I know how hard it is to get them ready and to get up and going and all of that. And so all those things do make it difficult. Yet, it is good to be on time, and a little early would even be helpful so that we can prepare ourselves to listen uh, attentively to the Word of God. Now, again, I'm just saying that as hopefully it will be a help to you, stir you up to try to be on time. So, and then in verses 28 through 33, we see that what we see in this section is really kind of an introduction to Peter's sermon as well as Cornelius's introduction to Peter. You've already seen sometimes this is kind of an, not that this is an example of it, I guess it could be, but you know, before you get a guest speaker in, you know, and the preacher comes in and there's always going to be someone that's going to stand there and go, well, here is so-and-so and he's from his place and he's going to help you and he's going to be preaching for us today. That's kind of what Cornelius is going to do here in this passage. So let me reread verses 28 through 33, and this way we'll be all on the same page, so to speak, of what we'll be seeing here. So beginning in verse 28 down through verse 33. And he said unto them, Ye know how, this is Peter as he saw them gathered together in verse 27. And he said unto them, Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying as soon as I was sent for. I ask therefore for what intent ye have sent for me. Now that was Peter's words to all of them and obviously also being directed towards Cornelius. And then Cornelius in verse 30 answers, And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting unto this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, and whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded of thee. As Peter and Cornelius come in, Peter sees the folks before them, and he, as we mentioned a while ago, he begins to speak. And he states here at the beginning, he kind of lays down a rule, actually he lays down in his mind a law. Peter, as you know, is coming here to a house that belongs to a, a Gentile. He's a Roman soldier. He is a pious man, as we read earlier. He's religious, he's devout, and all those things. But he's still a Gentile. And as Peter relates here, he says it's an unlawful thing that a Jew would be coming into a household that would be a Gentile or some other nation. Now at first, this may seem like an unfriendly thing to say. Not exactly how you would win over the crowd uh, who was coming to listen to you. You stand up and you tell them, well, look, you know... uh, uh, 
I'm not supposed to be here. It's unlawful. You Gentile. I'm not even supposed to be mingling with you. Now, if I didn't make them mad, it would at least have kind of caught their attention, attention and as they were listening to him. So here's a man. He comes to the place uh, to worship God or to hear the words of God. And, and here's the man that surely Cornelius has told them about. And he stands up and he says, well, really, it's not lawful for me to be here. And you may be wondering, well, Peter is probably saying and thinking, well, how am I going to tell this back to the boys back in Jerusalem? Because they know too now that I'm down here at the house of the Gentiles. Uh, Calvin on this point says this. He says, this seemeth to be no friendly preface and such as may rather harden than win their hearts when as they hear that they are accounted so unclean that when with their familiarity and conference they pollute the saints which must needs be a great reproach for them well that's kind of how you would think about it but calvin goes on to say it was kind of necessary for peter to say this it was necessary for the reason that they too would have known something of the customs of the jews that it was not a good thing for them to mingle as it were with the gentile people so peter then is trying to set things straight here now, if they had turned off their hearing by those statements, they would have missed a very great blessing, wouldn't they? If they would have said, look, this guy here thinks we're wrong, he thinks we're unclean, why would we even give him a hearing? Well, if they thought that way, guess what would have happened? They wouldn't have listened. And if they hadn't listened, then they would not have received the message that Peter was going to preach to them, beginning there in verse 34. So it was good for them to continue to listen, wasn't it? You know, the scripture tells us in Proverbs 18, verse 13, He that answereth the matter wisely before he hear it, it is a folly and a shame unto him. And Peter, though, goes on to reassure them that God has told him differently. Though this, as he says, is the law as we understand it. He says, but God has told us something else. He says in verse 28, the last part there, but God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Now, just where this law came up with that they were not to be mingling with the Gentiles, even to the point of not eating with them and coming into their household, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, there's no direct command in the Scripture in the Old Testament that would forbid that. Now, the commentators reference Deuteronomy chapter 7, and they too are perplexed as to why they would get all of that out of that anyway. But there it's telling them, uh, the Jews, that basically, you know, you're not to intermingle, you're not to marry in that sense with the Gentiles, you're not to learn their customs and so forth. And he gives a, a great list of what they're to do and what they can't do. But nowhere does it say there they cannot eat with them in uh, the Scripture. So just where that came from, I'm not sure. Now, we do know it was a practice. We see that in the New Testament. You remember the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And in verse 9, she asked the Lord there, you know, why are you talking to me? You Jews have no dealings with us. So that was the common thing that was going on. The Jews' attitude even in the next chapter, chapter 11, of the Jews back there in Jerusalem, 
were thinking the same thing. Look over in verse uh, 2 and 3 of chapter 11. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they were of the circumcision contented with him, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised and did eat with them. That's why I said he might have been a little worried what he was going to say to the guys back home. But here again, this was the Jews' attitude. We don't do that. And then, you remember in uh, Galatians chapter 2, Paul actually rebukes Peter for his actions of eating with the Gentiles and then getting up when the Jews come. And we read this in chapter 2, verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. So, again, the common practice it would seem of that time was you don't go around eating and, I guess, like fellowshipping with the Gentiles. Now, it could have been as the Jews of old read those passages, such as Deuteronomy 7, they may have drawn out of that passage the idea, well, you shouldn't be eating with the heathen. Or it could be, as Gill suggested, it may have been more of a Jewish tradition that was fabricated. In other words, this was just another one of those long list of things that the rabbis come up with and the Jews took it as the gospel, so to speak. But whatever the case is, whether it's really taught or whether they just falsely came up with it by misunderstanding the Scripture, it's clear here, though, at least, they thought it was important that the Jewish people didn't come among the Gentiles. Now, if that was so, as a law or as a custom, as it may have been, this would have been a hindrance in getting the gospel to them, wouldn't it? The Gentiles then would have not been able to hear the gospel so freely as they were going to hear it here in a little bit. So Peter then, now at this point, whatever that case is, explains to them and Cornelius that God has told him otherwise. And so in verse 29, he begins to relate to them that as soon he came to them as soon as he could. Despite his custom of not hanging around Gentiles, he says, I got here as quickly as I could. And he turns then to Cornelius and to, I suppose, the crowd as well, and he says, why have you sent me? And then in verses 30 down through 33, we see Cornelius here explains then to Peter the why of him being sent. And he relates to Peter and to them all, obviously, his vision. That he too had received a vision and that he was to send for one named uh, Simon, surnamed Peter, and he was to come and to uh, be ready to hear what Peter has to say. In fact, Cornelius too is very quick to obey, as we mentioned last week, the uh, the command to do so. We see in verse 33, he says, Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee. So Cornelius tells him, he quickly followed what he was told to do, and then he tells him, look, we're all here now, sitting ready to hear what you have to say and to obey. 
As we notice again in, in verse 33, he says here that they are present before God. Now here is this Gentile, whom we already believe he's converted, but nonetheless a Gentile, and he recognizes and he acknowledges here and he comprehends that as they sit here and they're ready to hear the word from Peter's lips, that they are before God. Now they're not equating Peter with God. They're equating hearing the word of God as being before God. That as they came to hear the words from God from Peter, they were present before the Lord. God is before them. And thus then they are in the presence of God. And he and they believed then as they assembled together under the sound of the word, there God was. And they, as look at the last part there, they're ready to hear and they're ready to obey. Look what he says there. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Now, for the time we have remaining this morning, let me give some lessons from this as we've read through this. First of all, I want to focus upon the point of assembling under the sound of the preaching of the Word. Now, I realize that this is true, that God attends to His Word as it's set forth and preached wherever it may be. Whether we do it here, or somewhere else, we're outside, we're in a house, we're under a tree in a barn, or in our family and so forth. I understand that. I think the Scripture teaches that. And as well, so much the more, though, when we are in His house. That is, when we are gathered as we are doing this morning. As we are assembled in one place, in one accord, that we call church. Now, you understand, when I say the word church, I don't mean these, this building here with the brick and the mortar and the, bo- uh, the boards and all the nice things that we have. That's not the church, though sometimes we call it that. But that's not what the church is. In the Scripture, the church are the people. And it's the people assembled together, coveted together in membership and fellowship and so forth under the authority and under the confines of the Scripture, what the Scripture has to say. So this morning then, I'm particularly speaking now at this point, the church, that is the local, visible, New Testament church. You know, Peter, uh, Paul later on in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy will say this about the church and any gathering of the church. But if I tarry long, he's talking to Timothy here, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, notice what he calls that. He didn't say the church is the truth, but he says it's the pillar and the ground of the truth. Every local New Testament church it's a gospel church. It's the pillar and the ground of the church. He's using this as an institutional sense here. Timothy wasn't pastoring some invisible uh, universal church at this point. This was just simply a local church in, its con- in the concrete of the matter. Notice something else. We learn, as we do here, that God is with us. God is here in, 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 in spirit, obviously. His presence is among us. You know that passage in Matthew that everyone, not everyone, I shouldn't say everybody, but it is often misunderstood or not often completely 
talked about as it ought to be because of the context. But you remember Matthew 18, and beginning there is verse 15, we read how that there is to be some uh, order as to how that we deal with erring brethren in the church. He goes on, more of thy brothers shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast granted thy brother. And then, of course, if he doesn't hear, you take one or two more and you try to convince him of his error. And if he refuses to hear that, it says, tell him to the church. Tell it to the church. And then if he neglect to hear the church, it says there, then uh, they were, uh, the man is to be treated as a heathen and a publican. And he goes on talking about this is a very serious matter, verse 18, because what you bind on earth is bound in heaven and so forth. And then uh, he says in verse 20, which again, that's the context of dealing with folks who are not doing what they ought to be doing regarding church and the fellowship of the brethren. And he goes, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And so people use that to say, well, see, no matter where you're at, two or three, and then in more than you have God's spirit there. I don't deny that. That would be certainly true. But what he's talking about there is in relationship to church being in the sense of disciplining someone. In other words, if two or three go to someone and try to correct them, God's presence is there. Christ is with them in that. They're doing what he's told them to do. And so that's what the meaning of that text is. Now, certainly, it would mean, as we're gathered here, two or three of us or more of us, that Christ is in the midst of us. So the reality there is still the same. God is here with us. The second thing we can learn from this is that God's word is to have preeminence in this place. Remember, as we read in 1 Timothy a while ago, it is the pillar and the ground of the truth. But what's the truth? It's the Word of God. It's the Scriptures. We uphold the Scriptures. We, we're the pillar and the ground of it. We're not the truth, but we uphold the truth. We set it forth. It's under us. This is what we're grounded upon. And thus the Word of God is to have preeminence here. And this is why we labor so hard to make a point of that, because we don't want it to be otherwise. As God's people, we want the Word of God to undergird everything we do. And everything that we believe and everything that we teach. And obviously we know we're not infallible. But the Word of God is. And that's what we always have to continue to go back to. And that's why the Word of God has preeminence in this place. We think singing is important, but it is not the preeminent thing. We think prayer is important, but it's not the preeminent thing. It is the Word of God, which, by the way, teaches us those things about singing and prayer and so forth. The third thing we note is that it is God's house. It's His. It's not ours. It's not ours to dictate what needs to be done here or what nothing needs to be done. The fourth thing we can relate here, in the main, we are to hear and we're to obey. Again, verse 33. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded of thee. Now, there are other things, obviously, important as we come to God's house. But they do fall under the idea of what does the Bible say? What does it not say? And since then, we ought to come to this place with such an understanding and such an attitude and such a desire. And that's why, by the way, I'm not going to do that this morning or in the weeks to come that I'm aware of, but 
as you know, I've preached in the past series of sermons on the doctrine of hearing the Word of God. You know, Jesus says, take heed how you hear, and he also says, take heed what you hear. So the importance of taking heed how we hear can be developed on what are good hearing habits, so to speak. What does it mean to hear the word? What is it? What does it mean? Why should we do it? And etc. How should we do it? The nuts and bolts of it. We have spent literally weeks talking and preaching about that. So I'm not going to do it today. But it is a work. There's work that goes on before we arrive here, getting our hearts prepared. That's why I said a while ago, we shouldn't just bob in off the street at the last moment. We should be ready, getting our hearts prepared here. There is to be the work doing during the preaching. What are, what are we to be thinking as we hear the Word of God set forth? And then what do we do after we hear it? Do we just forget it? No, the Bible teaches that we're to be not only good hearers, but doers of the Word. So I'm not going to take the time to do all that, uh, so forth. Another thing we think here, being careful of rightly understanding the Scriptures. Now, this goes on the fact of, I'm basing this point here on whether they understood the Scriptures properly about whether they should be with Gentiles or not. Again, I don't know if that was the true law or not. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to determine that. Maybe somebody already has, and that's great if they do. So I'm not prepared to say that. But my point is, it ought to be, ne- it ought to be right and necessary that we have a right understanding, a proper understanding of what the Word of God teaches. Now, we know what the Word of God is. That's the thing sitting before us. But to know what it says in the sense of what it means is a whole different matter. We need to know what it says. We need to know what it means. Now, also understand that none of us here or anybody is going to have a perfect knowledge of the Bible. But that shouldn't stop us from wanting to know what it does say. And in those places where it can be understood, we ought to labor to understand those things. And this will only come by the, the following. Now, again, this is just laid out here in a manner that's easy for us to understand. First of all, we know that it's really to understand God's Word. It takes the blessings of God on that, does it not? We can receive nothing except to be given from above. All knowledge comes from God. So we need to acknowledge that. If I'm going to understand the Scripture, it's because God's taught us that. And then secondly, the Scriptures themselves. We have to have dealings with them. We have to read it. The Bible says, search the Scriptures. See whether these things are so. We have to meditate upon the Scriptures. Think about them. Mull them over, as it were. We have to compare Scripture with Scripture. You see me doing this in the sermons oftentimes, so that's a good way to learn. We are to pray, obviously. If God is the one who gives light, we should be seeking that in prayer. We ought to be listening in church. You hear people say, I want to go to Bible study today. You know the best Bible study? The best Bible study is sitting in God's house listening to the word preached. That's the best Bible study. I'm not saying it's the only Bible study. I'm just saying it's the best. That is, if you go somewhere where the word of God is truly taught and applied, this is the place where you'd be hearing it. Those kind of places. And then there needs to be a consistency in these things. It cannot be a hodgepodge type of thing. It can't be 
You'll study the Bible really serious for two nights and then you neglect it for a month. That's, that's not consistency. It's not going to work that way. And then the fourth thing I can say about that is that all of us are required to do it. Now, not all of us at the same degree and measure because I don't expect you to labor in the Word as much as I do. I mean, that's my calling. That's the, you give me the time to do it. Some of y'all, all of us here, don't have that kind of time to do such. So I'm not saying everybody has to be a, you know, an in-depth Bible scholar, so to speak. But we can, in some measure, in some degree, do so. What believer is exempt to any of those things that I just said? Can any of us neglect prayer and be, it'd be right? Can any of us neglect reading the Bible and it be right? Can any of us neglect hearing the Word of God in church and it be right? No. All of us are required to do that. The third thing we can note here, this will be the last point. It is a, it is a lack of knowledge and understanding that leads to error. Notice verses 25 and 26 again. Now that I am sure about. Whether about the law thing, I don't know. But verse 25 and 26, I am sure about. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Cornelius was wrong here. Cornelius didn't have enough light and understanding at this point. Thankfully, Peter corrected him. So we could say it this way. The Scriptures will keep us from error, but a wrong understanding of Scripture will lead us to error. Makes a nice little slogan, doesn't it? The Scriptures will keep us from error, but a wrong understanding of them will lead us to error. Well, we'll stop there, and we'll meet back at 11, and we'll start surfaces again, and uh, trust that God will bless what we've said here this morning. Amen.